0: John chapter 3, should have an outline there before you, find ourselves back in this wonderful portion of Scripture. I pray that you're enjoying this as much as I am. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just a wonderful text to be able to to teach and to learn and grow, and it speaks to my heart every week as I go over it and over it. Um, But this morning we're going to be looking once again at the first um, 10 verses here. And so I'd ask you to stand in honor of God's Word. Uh, Since you sat through the last song, you can stand. (laughs) John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who comes from God, for no one can do these signs That you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet... Do not understand these things. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds afresh to this text as we continue in our look at the power of the transforming work of Christ in people's lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now remember, the overarching purpose of this gospel. I'm going to say it again. It's found in John twenty thirty one, where he says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. Everything in this gospel, the gospel of John, is driven to prove that point, the deity of Christ, that who Jesus said he was, he actually is. And one of the greatest lies, I believe, that Satan has fostered in the human race today is really the hope that somehow your religion will save you, that your self-performance will give you a proper standing before a holy God. It doesn't matter whether it's Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, Judaism, whatever, Christianity even. Okay? There have been millions and millions of people who have mistakenly thought that somehow their obedience to their religion would earn them eternal life, would somehow earn them a place in the kingdom of God. And the four Gospels make it very clear that that's not going to happen. Um, it's probably the most difficult group of people to reach are those of, who are in religion. It's easier to just read a down-and-out sinner, uh, reach them, than it is to reach someone who thinks they're religious. But it was a religious crowd, I just want to remind you of this, that opposed Jesus. It was a, it was a re- religious crowd of Jesus' day that eventually crucified him, put him on the cross. They were blind to their own sins. They had self-righteousness. and Jesus said he didn't come for such like that. He came for the, those who were sick, those who needed a physician. He's saying, basically, that religion can't save you. Religion will not get you into the kingdom of God because he uses this illustration of the new birth of being born again. And he says very clearly that birth is something that happens to us, um, not by us. We didn't participate in our own physical birth, nor do we participate in our own spiritual birth. No one gives us himself or herself, no one can give themselves physical life. You can't just, you know, when you're not born yet say, I want to be born, and you're born. It doesn't happen that way. And the same thing goes with spiritual lives. No one can just wish themselves to have spiritual life. That's the whole point. That's why he's talking to Nicodemus, who, as we've seen, is a very religious man. And we've seen the need for the, the rebirth the spiritual birth in verses 1 to 3, and we talked about how it's a solely a sovereign work of God in the human heart. We know that basically as, as this regeneration work that God does. And we saw last week the approach of Nicodemus in verses 1 and 2, and we said that he's, his religious background was of a, the Pharisees. He was a Pharisee, and we talked about that in depth. His political position was he was a ruler of the Jews, part of the Sanhedrin. And then we looked at his personal problem because he came, it says in verse 2, to Jesus by night. And we talked extensively about why he did that. Um, I think it was because he was afraid of the Jews, (laughs) afraid of his cohorts, even though he was the leader, if they found out he was talking with this new teacher who was more popular than them he would be in a lot of trouble and so he came to Jesus by night wherever we see Nicodemus coming to Jesus it was night and it doesn't matter beloved whether you come to Jesus at night or in the morning or whenever and it doesn't matter where you come to Jesus the Bible says if you draw near to God what he will draw near to you okay and so If you're here today or you're hearing this message and you haven't made that step of drawing near to God, you haven't sought out, maybe God's doing a work in your heart and he's causing you to think of spiritual things, go to the Word of God and open it and start reading through the Gospel of John as we're studying it and ask the Lord himself to speak to your heart to show you your need of a Savior. So we saw his approach and then we saw the answer of Jesus in verse 3. And we broke it down basically in two points. We said the requirement of being born again. He said in no uncertain terms in verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so it's a requirement that you're born again to enter the kingdom of God, but it also spoke of the reality of this messianic kingdom. He says you cannot see the kingdom of God. So we, we ended our message last week how we said that, you know what, the kingdom of God is going to be something that we see when we experience it. And we kind of related that to our own Christian lives. When God sets up his kingdom in our own lives through the lordship of Christ, that should be something people see. There should be a distinct change when you come to Christ. You don't just add Jesus to your life and continue to live like you lived before. That's not a genuine conversion as the Bible teaches you speak of, you look at anyone who had a born again experience in the Word of God and they were radically changed. All of Christ's disciples, what did they do? They left family, they left professions, they left everything. They left money and they followed Christ. They gave it all, they sacrificed it all. And Jesus dialed down on that over and over again when many thousands of people were following him. Occasionally he would turn and he'd say, Hey, wait, you can't follow me unless. You take up your cross daily. Die to yourself daily. Be willing to crucify yourself daily. Come to the end of yourself is what he's saying. and Then then you can be my disciple. And so we looked at this, this verse a little bit about being born again. But I just want to kind of review a couple things here because Nicodemus kind of asked him, well, how can a man be born when he's old? He had this issue. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Remember, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. The Pharisees were this elite group of Old Testament students. They obeyed the law. They knew the law. Uh, they knew all the rabbinical traditions. And they were very fastidious about understanding what was needed in their religion. They were the most devout of all Jews to the Old Testament. And every bit of their Jewish tradition... And Pharisee itself means to be separated. They were isolationists. They thought no one could rise to the level of religiosity as they did. They didn't want anything to do with the common people. In fact, later in the Gospel of John, you're going to find out that they, they basically looked at the whole population that was not part of their population being Pharisees, and they said they're all accursed. They were very strict Um, they didn't see themselves in some kind of role to minister to these people, to help these people along. They simply isolated themselves from those people. They were really arch hypocrites, you could say. Jesus even called them whitewashed tombs, pointing out that, oh, on the outside you look good, but you're basically full of dead men's bones on the inside. He pointed his finger at them and said, you know what? You pretend to be religious? You pretend to lead people to heaven? You say you know the way? Actually, Jesus said, you're creating sons of hell. You're not leading people to heaven. You're leading them to hell. They multiplied sons of hell everywhere they went. Why? Because they themselves were sons of hell. They were not saved. And Nicodemus was one of these people. He would have been like the Apostle Paul when he was giving his own testimony. That would have been a, a, a Pharisee. Paul says in Philippians that he was zealous for the law. He was blameless before the law. That he kept every tradition. That he marched to the step of the Pharisees and the Pharisees alone. Every little, small, minute detail. Even down to tithing these little tiny herbs they would put in their tea. They were very crazy about the religion, you could say. But they were hypocrites, big hypocrites. And in Luke 18, we looked at how he described the one of the the Pharisees. In Luke 18, he describes this imaginary Pharisee that he goes into the temple and he prays. And we talked about this. I thank God that I'm not like these other men. (laughs) Can you imagine if you heard somebody pray like that in a prayer circle? Lord, I'm just so thankful. I'm not like everyone else who's here. I'm far above them. I mean, you would probably open up your eyes and go, who are you? Who do you think you are? Right? I mean, you'd probably get up and walk out. That's what this Pharisee did. That's a Pharisee. That's Nicodemus. And he's not just one of the Pharisees. He's the top Pharisee. He says in verse 10, if you look there, it says, he's the teacher, In Israel, the teacher, he's risen in his profession to be at the very pinnacle of success. The Pharisees were teachers, but he says he's the teacher in Israel. He's the most illustrious, the most notable, the most master of teachers. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, according to chapter, uh, in other areas of the Bible, it says that he's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's part of that Jewish council of 70 elite Pharisees who led, kind of like you can think of it as the Supreme Court of Israel. This is not an uninformed individual. He's very smart. He's intelligent. He's an Old Testament expert. He's bright. He's successful. And tradition tells us As you you read a little bit of background on Nicodemus, some traditions say that he was one of the three richest people in the city of Jerusalem at the time. That's pretty rich, even back then. So this isn't just some religious guy that seeks out Jesus. This is the religious man. He, He is representative of everyone who is part of his religion. And his wisdom and his ability to think, to reason, even to do business because he was very wealthy made him a very successful and wealthy individual. He had it all, you could say. And from the Pharisee's standpoint, we looked at the point that, you know what? Jesus points out that they loved money. Remember that? Well, he was a Pharisee. He loved money, and he had a lot of it. He became very rich. And of course, in their tradition, if you were rich, that was a sign of God's blessing on your life. Sounds a little familiar to me. (laughs) See, but I think even though he was very successful on the outside, he was very blessed as the community looked at him as the leader of the Pharisees. I think in his heart, as most humans do, in his heart he knew he was fake. (laughs) He knew he was a phony. He knew he was a hypocrite. He had all these religious trappings on the outside. But inside, I think his heart was filled with fear. I think his heart was filled with doubt. I think his heart was filled with anxiety that was tearing up his soul. And the problem was, he's the teacher of this religion. And he comes across Jesus, and he looks at, sees what Jesus does... And guess what? Jesus is in a whole different level than (laughs) Nicodemus. When he saw what Jesus did and how Jesus taught, Nicodemus knew right away, man, I've never seen somebody like this before. And I am the teacher. I am the master teacher. And then he looked at the miracles that Jesus did. He's never probably seen a miracle before. You never saw anybody that did a miracle. Remember before this time, there was a time of silence. God didn't even deal with Israel for 400 years until John the Baptist came on and prepared the way for Christ. So it's not like miracles were happening all over the place. And so when Jesus started to do these miracles, people were blown away by it. And they realized someone cannot do what Jesus is doing unless he comes from God. And that's what he says. Look, we know that you have come from God in his own heart. He knew that he didn't come from God. Nicodemus knew that about himself because he knew his own hypocrisy. But when he looked at Jesus and he saw what Jesus did, he thought, wow, this guy, this guy has come from God. So finally, he's confronted with a teacher who is far above himself. And you know what? As most people would do, he cries out, really, has a heart cry moment And he says, Wow, I I need some reality here. And so we we come to this with this introduction. And in verse 3, we see here that, you know, he says in in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you're the teacher from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. And then we spoke about how Jesus answered him. Well, he didn't really ask a question here, he really didn't ask a question. And I think he knew truly what was in the heart of of man. I think he knew exactly what Nicodemus was going to say. And last week I said he he basically kind of cut him off. Here he is praising Jesus, and Jesus kind of interrupts him and just says, Stop talking. (laughs) Stop talking. And Jesus gave him an answer for a question that he wasn't even asking. But guess what? Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew he had questions that he he had not asked yet. Because back in chapter uh, 2, we learned that Jesus knew and knows the heart of men. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what's in your heart right now as you're sitting here listening to this teaching. I'm kind of hungry. Hurry up. We've got some food over there or whatever you're thinking. He knows it. (laughs) Can't hide it from God. But when you look at that, there's a, there's, I kind of, there's a pause there in between. It's, it's like Jesus interrupts Nicodemus because he knew what Nicodemus was going to say. I think what Nicodemus would have said is, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who comes from God, for no one can do these signs unless you come from God and that God is with him. But that would have been his next word. I guarantee it. But you know what? You're not from Jerusalem. You can't be the Messiah, you're not from Jerusalem, you're from Galilee. Because he was a a Pharisee. This is how they thought. But our our Pharisees were not consulted about this. Who do you think you are coming in here as this master teacher? You're kind of infringing on our rights, Jesus. You haven't talked to us about this. You haven't gone before the ruling council. You haven't been to the Sanhedrin to ask if you could do this. But you have done nothing to overthrow the Roman Empire as of yet. Isn't the Messiah going to free Israel and and all that? You haven't done any of that. But, but, but. But you are deceiving the people. (laughs) You know, you're, 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 something's deceptive here, Jesus, and the common people who, who don't know the law are the ones that are following you. They're not following us. They should be following us because we're the religious organization. <laughs> you're stealing our thunder. We don't like it. You're causing problems, Jesus. See, that's what Nicodemus would have said if Jesus would not have interrupted him. But Jesus never waited for Nicodemus to say those things. I mean, I love the Lord. I mean, sometimes we're just cruising along and we think we got everything and Jesus kind of taps us on the shoulder and just says, you know what, you need to shut up for a second. I'm trying to do a work here and you're getting in the way. (laughs) i got to tell you something, Nicodemus. You have to understand this. You've got to be born again. This is what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see, cannot experience the kingdom of God. Now, look at verse 4. This is kind of where we left off last week. Nicodemus says to to Jesus, here we, we see this, concern he has this this problem of of age look at what he says in verse 4 nicodemus said to him how can a man be born when he is old now remember nicodemus isn't some idiot he's a very well taught he knew exactly what jesus was telling i believe was saying to him nicodemus said to him how can a man be born when he is old can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born so he has the problem of age and the problem of birth. And when you, when you stop and you, you think about that, that is, that is an issue for a lot of people. And so he's, he tells Nicodemus here, you know what, you need to be born again. You can't do this on your own. You're not going to get your foot in the door of the kingdom of God until you're born again. He has nothing, he doesn't even relate to what Nicodemus just said. He just kind of says this, interrupts his thoughts, everything, into the conversation. The reason Jesus said that is because he knew Nicodemus's concern. He knew the worry that was in Nicodemus's heart. How did he know that? He says he knew all men. Verse 25 of chapter 2 says, He didn't need anyone to testify concerning man. He himself knew what was in man. He knew the situation. So what's he doing? He's illustrating his omniscience. He's illustrating the fact that he knew everything. He knew their thoughts. He knew their longings. He knew their desires. Just like he knows ours. What's the desire in your heart? What are your longings? Here is this Loyal religionist, this Pharisee who really rose to the apex of his success. He's the legalist of the legalists. He's reached the apex of Judaism and he's not in the kingdom. In other words, it hasn't worked. And he realizes that. And he knows it. And his heart is full of fear, I believe. He has no peace. He has no joy. He couldn't. He has no sense of assurance. He has no sense of forgiveness. And in his heart, maybe not on the outside, but in his heart, he's crying out, what do I do? What more do I have to do? Or what do I have to stop? Where am I sinning? What do I have to stop doing? Why does he think that way? Because all as he knows is a due system. All as he knows is a work system. That's what he was raised in. That's what he has studied. And our Lord boldly says to him, nobody enters the kingdom who's not born again. Which is telling Nicodemus, you know what, pal? You have to go all the way back. You've got to start all over. (laughs) Because everything you've done up to this point means apt absolutely nothing think about that all the accumulated religion all the accumulated morality the human goodness as we call it before a holy god what's it add up to zero zilch nothing completely meaningless So here's this man who's reached the apex of his religious life, but he's in a zero condition before a holy God. And you know what? I think he knows it. He's beginning to see it. So Jesus says unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see or enter or participate in the kingdom of God. And I think born again is a good rendering because of, of the simple reason that that's how Nicodemus responded. He said, what do you mean born from above? you got to go up in the clouds? No, he said, no, how can you go come out of a mother's womb again? Right? He, he understood what Jesus was saying. He clearly understood that. That's regeneration. See, the problem with us so many times is we think that we've we got a little bit of goodness in us. And so we just have to fix that. And if we fix that, somehow God will like us. And so we, we reach out and we try all this different stuff that whatever religion we're part of tells us to do. But in the heart of hearts, we realize nothing's changing here. I'm just going through the routine. I'm going through the motions. I, I still have this void. And Jesus says, you need to be born again. You need to be regenerated. You need to have a new nature, a new life. You're so bad off, folks, we need to recreate you. <laughs> I can't fix this. In chapter 1, verse 13, it tells us that if this, this happens not by the will of the flesh, not by human blood, but by God. This, this only happens through the work of God. It's a divine miracle that comes down from heaven in which we do not participate in. We don't like to hear that because we like to think more of ourselves than what God does. How many were around before the foundation of the world? Some of you are pretty old, but I don't think you're that old. Well, that's when God set his love upon you to save you. Ephesians tells us, before the foundation of the world. That's the work of God. Now, you see this problem of age. He understood it. He brought up the problem of age. And then he brought up the problem of birth. How can you be born when you're old? How can you go back into the mother's womb Now here, Jesus is is speaking to Nicodemus, kind of in the third person. He's not making it personal with Nicodemus. He says, unless one, not you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So I think there's something to be said that Jesus is using some tact here. But he is pointing out the truth very boldly in verse 3. They're having this theological discussion, which a Pharisee would just love. Have you ever talked to a Jewish person about Christ? They love to discuss things, they love to argue. It's just in their nature. They like to argue about things. They'll argue about things you don't even want to argue about, Um, it's just part of their personality. And a lot of preachers have said, well, you know, Nicodemus didn't understand what he was saying. He has no idea what Jesus is talking about. I don't believe that. I think he knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Some people think he's being sarcastic. Well, how can he go back in there and be born again, come back out? How does that happen? Some people think he's even making a joke here, but he's not. He's not an ignorant man. He's a very well-taught, very educated, the teacher in Israel. And you know what he realized? He's realized that Jesus knows his problem. This man who's come from God, who's done all these other miracles, he just did a miracle right in front of Nicodemus. He read his mind. He knew what Nicodemus was going to say, and he answered the question before Nicodemus could even ever answer it. You know, he doesn't say to Jesus, why did you bring this up? What are you talking about, Jesus? I was trying to go to say something. He doesn't say that. Why are you talking to me about the kingdom? I didn't ask anything about that. Why are you talking to me about all this? Nicodemus doesn't do that because he understands he was going to ask it. And, 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 and the Lord read his mind. Now, he understands that Jesus just said, you can't get into the kingdom by anything you do more than you could be a part of how you were born or when you were born. You, you, you had no part in that. And the rabbis would live in a world of analogies. They like to use analogies, illustrations, parables. You see that in the life of Christ. And Nicodemus is brilliant. He's the teacher in Israel. He spent his entire life in theological discussion and dialogue. He completely understands what Jesus said, and he gets it, I think, 100%. And he jumps into the discussion. He says, well, how can a man, keeping it in the third person there, how can a man be born when he is old? In other words, okay, I'll bite Jesus. I'll use your analogy. I'll engage you on this matter. He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? That that proves that he totally understood what Jesus was saying here. Jesus was saying, you come into the kingdom But you can't do anything about it. You have to come the way God says that you come. And basically Nicodemus is saying, well, this seems humanly impossible. You're speaking of something that seems impossible to me. That's his response there, really. He doesn't miss the point at all. He gets it completely. He probably understood it a lot better than we do, I'm afraid. And so if an unsaved Pharisee hypocrite, part of a false religion, can in one conversation grasp the simple truth of the doctrine of regeneration, that you have to be born again, why is the church today so confused about this? And why do you hear so many... Pastors and preachers and teachers and evangelists give you steps how you can be born again. There's no such thing. He was reacting, really, Nicodemus was, as any person caught up in that legalistic religion of his would be. Are you kidding me? I've spent my entire life doing things to get into the kingdom, and now you're telling me the only way to get into this kingdom is by something that I have nothing to do with? Really, Jesus? But that's really the heart, is it not, at the gospel of grace? He's saying, all I've ever known is that you earn it. You achieve it by religion, by ceremony, by by ritual, by morality, by being a good person, quote. And that's why Jesus says to their He says, truly, truly, or verily, verily, depending on what version you have. He's basically saying, hey, listen up, because you are are being deceived, Nicodemus. You've been caught up in this lie of the enemy, lie of Satan, that somehow you can earn your salvation. Do you understand people believe this today? They think somehow by going to church or being baptized or taking communion or going to confession or whatever it might be, saying the rosary, you can go on and on and on. And I think even in evangelical churches, you find people that think somehow they're earning their way to God. And Jesus says, no, 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 truly, 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 you're wrong." (laughs) I'm telling you the truth, Nicodemus. Truly, I'm saying this to you. And this is the first time, I have no doubt, this is the first time he's ever heard this in his entire life. And he's had, I mean, he's a student of theology. Nobody's ever told him this. Nobody ever said, Nicodemus, all this stuff you're doing doesn't matter before a holy God. Nobody's ever told him that. Have you ever run into somebody like that? I have. Have you ever talked to somebody about Christ? And they're part of a religion or they're part of their their thinking that thinks somehow they're going to earn their way to God. And you start explaining the scriptures to them and pointing out that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, I I was one of these people until I was 19 years of age. It took a pastor well over an hour repeating Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, to me personally, before the Lord opened my eyes. I kept saying, well, you know, that's my brother. I mean, he's a sinner. Yeah, he needs the Lord. You know, I'm little Stevie, the baby of the family. I've never done anything wrong. I mean, that's how I viewed myself. And it wasn't until God arrested my heart and my soul and my mind and showed me, no, you're, you're a sinner too, pal. You may not be the degree of these people over here or that person over there, but that's not the standard do you know that one, one sin disqualifies you? One. Nicodemus is hearing this for the first time, and he is absolutely blown away. He, he can't really deal with this. I mean, Jesus could have said to him, you know what, hey, you know, this is a big change for you, Nicodemus. I know this is a little different. I'm sorry. You know, if you just stick with me, I'll help you through this. I don't see that in the text. You know what I see in the text? Look over at verse 10. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says to him at the end of our conversation here, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? He's not consoling this man. He's rebuking him. Really, Nicodemus? With all this religion, you don't understand the basics of the gospel? He doesn't let Nicodemus off the hook as sometimes we do with people because we don't want to be too pushy. He looks at Nicodemus and he says, this is inexcusable. You're responsible for teaching all these people and yet you don't understand the basics of regeneration? You don't understand that you need to be born again? So he says, how can this happen? He's old. How can you be born when you're old? How can you enter a second time into the mother's womb? But look at this condition that Jesus lays out for him in verse 5. Jesus says, okay, I'll help you out a little bit, Nicodemus. (laughs) Because obviously you're not all that of a teacher. Jesus answered and said, truly, truly, I say to you, there's those words again. In other words, hey, I'm doubling down. I'm not lying. I'm not backing down. I say to you, unless one is born, you have to look at this carefully, of water and the Spirit... What's it say? He cannot enter the kingdom of God. A lot of people have a lot of different views, and there's four of them listed there for you in your notes. You say, why do you put those four in there? Because I know Bible-believing, conservative, born-again teachers that probably believe each one of these. I'm not saying they're all right. (laughs) but let's look at this a little deeper because as you see this condition for entering the kingdom of God unless one is born of water and the spirit did you know by the way that Pharisees taught that Gentile proselytes those who were Gentiles who wanted to become Jewish they would follow all that they told them to do and they would use this phrase that they were born again. They had to be born again to become a Jew as a Gentile. Because a Gentile is completely looked down upon, right? And so the Gentile had to go away. (laughs) They understood. This this is something that you had to become a whole new person if you wanted to be Jewish as a Gentile proselyte. And this particular man, Nicodemus the Pharisee, the ruler of the Jews, would use that exact same term when a a Gentile would come up and say, Hey, teacher, I want to become Jewish. I want to become part of Judaism. What would I have to do to convert? And basically, he would instruct him in all the regulations. And part of that regulation, you would have to be born again. The the Jews would, the, the leaders, the Pharisees would just load these people down with all kinds of regulations. You have to do this, you have to do that. And that's why a lot of the Gentiles complained about the Jewish leaders. Because they made it almost impossible for them to do anything of the sort. Because remember, they view themselves as separated from everybody, and you know, you're never going to rise to this occasion, but hey, if you want to be Jewish, okay, here's what you've got to do. And they just piled on the regulations. It's like if you wanted to join another religion today, you know, and they, they gave you handbook after handbook of rules and regulations you had to follow, eventually you'd probably say, you know, forget this. That was their goal. <laughs> they weren't looking for Gentile proselytes. They didn't want that. But he would use that exact same term to a Gentile proselyte who would be converting to Judaism. And all the Pharisees loaded all these burdens on them that they could not keep. And Jesus, by the way, even spoke about this in the Gospels. Says he lay, they laid on men such heavy matters that they could not even follow them. That they were becoming Discouraged. And that's when Jesus told them, you know what? You're not helping people get in the kingdom of God. You're helping, you're, you're keeping people from the kingdom of God by adding all these rules and regulations and, and traditions and commandments. I mean, how, how fascinating that Jesus would say to him, you know, oh, you know what, Nicodemus, uh, you can't do anything. You have to be born again. And Nicodemus is out there saying, no, 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 if you want to become part of Jesus, you, you've got to follow all 621 commands of the Torah, and, and you have to follow a thousand commands that we've made up in our own traditions. You have to do all this. And Jesus says, nope, nothing. Doesn't bring up any of that. What you have to do is be born again. And he'd probably immediately be confused because that is the term that they used of Gentile proselytes who would do all of it except your righteousness exceeds what's the scripture say that of the scribes and the Pharisees who cannot enter the kingdom of God so he's taking a very familiar term really to Nicodemus and now he's he's deepening his understanding of it well what does he say look at this, this condition for entering the kingdom of God most assuredly, he answers. There's no question about this. And you, you notice here that it's it's hard when we see this because once again, Christ isn't really he's not answering a, answering a, a question that Nicodemus asked, but he knew exactly what what the Lord what what Nicodemus was thinking, and Jesus wanted to answer him. And so he just basically says, you have to be born again. In verse 5, he says, born of the water and the Spirit. Now, a lot of people, like I said, there's four different views here. First is water baptism. Some people believe that's what that means. It means you're being born of water. That's baptism and the Spirit. That's the new birth. There's well-meaning people that believe this. This is probably the most popular view that people hold, that it refers to water baptism. I don't know where you're at on that, but it is the majority view down through history that this born of water is referring to water baptism. So we have to be careful here because what what does this mean? First of all, the Jews had baptism for Gentile converts. And they called it one of the steps of them being born again if they wanted to come into Judaism. So it would make logic sense for Nicodemus perhaps to be thinking about that. And as Jesus said, unless you're born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. So there's a lot of people that believe it refers to water baptism. And they would say you have to be baptized in water in order to enter the kingdom of God. That's what their view would be. There's a lot of denominations that hold to that. It's their doctrine. There's a lot of people, that's why they hold to pedobaptism baptism the, the baptism of babies, because they think we have to baptize our baby. Because if our baby's not baptized, they won't go to heaven. And we also know that in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 to 16, Jesus said to them, at the end there, He, says, he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, Jesus says. And then He says this in verse 16, if you look at it, Mark 16.16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And they say, see, that's proof. You have to be baptized in order to be saved. Not necessarily. Is someone who's saved, do they usually get baptized? Do they usually follow the Lord through the waters of baptism? I would say yes, if you're genuinely saved. You should follow the, the Lord through the waters of baptism. Baptism, he did that as a, as a way for us to follow. okay. And it depicts our death in Christ and our resurrection to life. It gives us an opportunity to share our testimony before a group of people so that we can say, hey, I've been transformed, I've been changed, hold me accountable to this. See, some people say, well, Pastor, can you baptize me? But, you know, I don't want anybody here. I said, Sorry, I can't do that. <laughs> Somebody's got to be here. Because you're, you're, you're not really understanding baptism. <laughs> right? So it says there, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So are believers baptized? Genuinely, yes. Usually. I can think of one that wasn't. Remember? The thief on the cross? He wasn't baptized, clearly. And the Lord promised him heaven. But look at what it says in the next phrase there in Mark 16, 16. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. See, this is proof that baptism is not required for salvation. Because if it was, he would have said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned. He leaves the baptism out. Why? Because you don't have to be baptized to be saved. Through the waters of baptism. Now understand, when you become a Christian, when you are transformed, when God saves you, the Bible says you are baptized into Christ. You need that kind of baptism. But I'm speaking strictly about water baptism, going through a a baptismal. So we know that the first one is a little shaky. It can't just be water baptism, because it doesn't say that if, if you do not believe and are not baptized, you will be condemned. It just says if you don't believe. It lands on belief. To be saved... It depends on what your belief is. It's irrelevant whether you're baptized or not. Now, in an act of obedience, as a Christian, you think that you would want to be obedient. I think it's one of the first acts of obedience because it does say to believe and be baptized because it's a a line of demarcation. It's a way to mark you out from others. Others aren't getting baptized. Why are you getting baptized? Well, let me tell you, because he changed my life. Because here's what I was before, and here's what I am now. And I want everyone to know and hold me accountable to the fact that Jesus has changed my life. So the Bible says that it's also true that he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. It says that. It says he who believes shall be saved. Does it ever say anywhere he who is baptized shall be saved all by itself. No. It never gives baptism as a prescription for salvation. The central argument is always belief. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and what? Thou shalt be saved. And some people use that, even though they, they say, well, you know, it's, we still believe that. But even in First Peter chapter 3, verse 21, it says that baptism does not remove the filth of the flesh. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God. What's that mean? In other words, you're, you're doing what the Lord told you to do as a believer. You're being baptized. You're going through the waters of baptism. Now, some people say, well, should you baptize children? My answer is always the same. Absolutely. If they know the Lord. That's the key. If they know the Lord. Well, how do you know that? Well, they should be able to explain what it means to know the Lord, they should be able to explain the gospel to you. They should be able to explain why they want to get baptized. I've had families in our church come to us and, well, can you baptize little Johnny? You know, he, he, he thought it was cool that somebody went in that tub up there. He wants to get in the tub, <laughs> you know. And I asked little Johnny, why do you want to get baptized? Because it looks fun. <laughs> okay. Nah, Johnny, you're not ready to be baptized, right? That's, that's not the right answer. And I've had meetings with parents where the little Johnny's standing there and mom and dad are sitting there and I ask little Johnny and the parent starts answering the question. I'm like, hey, you just need to be quiet. <laughs> I'm asking your son or your daughter, You know, I'm trying to discern here, do they really know the Lord? And you say, well, what's the age? I don't think you can put an age on it. You really can't. If they know the Lord and they're able to comprehend and, and reiterate the gospel and they desire to be baptized... But if you don't understand the gospel, then you don't baptize them. So this is important. And there's a majority of of teachers throughout history that hold that, well, what he means here when he says of water, it means water baptism. Well, secondly, quickly here, it can mean physical and spiritual birth. Some people believe that. When when Jesus uh, says there that unless one is born of the water... That's the physical birth, you know, the mother's water breaks, and the spirit, that's the spiritual birth. They make that argument, and that's a very well argument to make, and what they're saying is unless you're born of water, you're born physically, and then you have to be born spiritually, you can't enter the kingdom of God. If you just take a couple minutes and think about it, it seems a little ridiculous, I mean, when you, when you honestly assess that, that idea, and you say, why? Because it would be like you're saying, you've got to be human in order to be saved. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, unless you're born, you can't be saved. Well, duh, tell me something I don't know. I mean, that's kind of obvious. I don't think that's what he's saying. That it would be, that would be, I, I'll say this, that would be a possibility if the grammar here in this verse was a little different. And I'm going to talk about that in a second, if it made a distinction. But you have to understand there, when he says, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, what's missing in the second phrase there? He doesn't say, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit. See that? It's missing. What does that do? Grammatically, that puts them both together as one unit. It's not two different things we're looking at. It's one thing. The next argument, some people, and you can kind of look at it and say, whatever the water is, it's also the spirit in terms of its effect and its work. It's the same thing. A third argument is the word and the spirit. And, You know, you can argue for this because the verses there, if you look up those verses, Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to thy word. What? Thy word I've hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Or John 15, 3, Jesus said, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Or John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Philippians, uh, he might sanctify and cleanse us by the water of the word. I mean, does the Bible ever use the water as an illustration for the cleansing word of God in our lives? Absolutely it does. Is that what he means here? I don't think so. 1 Peter one twenty three says, We're born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. So the agents of the, of the new birth are the Holy Spirit using the Word of God to cause us to be saved. The last one, which I believe it is, I think this is the right answer, is spiritual cleansing. Spiritual cleansing. But there's good people that believe all these. I don't think this is a demarcation to break fellowship with somebody or something like that. They just have to understand they're wrong. But moving on, (laughs) I say that jokingly, obviously. Um, You know, all 22 books of the Hebrew Bible, all right? There are people, I mean, Nicodemus knew them. He just didn't know about them. He knew them. And and we think, wow, what do you mean? He he probably had them memorized. You see, that's impossible. There's people in Israel today that can recite parts of any part of the Bible. There was one guy who ended a Bible contest, national Bible contest in Israel. He was 18 years of age. And they asked him all these questions. And he just started disputing just Old Testament verses. Oh, that's found in this. That's found in there. That's found there. And they finally asked him, they said, you know what, are there any verses in the Bible that you do not know? And very humbly he stopped and he thought and he says, I don't think so. <laughs> I thought, wow. I mean, he had the whole thing memorized. So Nicodemus was this kind of man. He was very committed. What I'm trying to say is that I think Jesus, knowing how Jesus answered, how he he wonderfully used Old Testament scriptures and all that he taught, I think he was referring to something that Nicodemus knew well. I think he was referring to something that Nicodemus would get. That, you know what? Um, He's saying you can't enter the kingdom of God. He's saying it to a Jew. The kingdom of God is going to be established on earth. Israel is going to be restored. The Messiah is going to be ruling and reigning. They call it entering the land. Jesus called it entering the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God will be set up on earth, the Bible teaches. The Messiah will sit on his throne. He will rule from Jerusalem. And so the Jewish mind, he's thinking here, what's going on? And next time we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 36. Because we're out of time. But he understood exactly what Jesus was speaking of. And I think it was spiritual cleansing. And if you take time this week to go and you read Ezekiel 36, you'll see exactly what I'm speaking about. And we'll pick up there next week. Because you know what? God has to do that work in our hearts. This is not a religious thing that can happen to us. It's something that God has to do to us because we can't do it to ourselves. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this new birth that you talk about and how you have imposed your will upon us. And Lord, that you have caused us to repent of our sins and to turn to you in need of forgiveness, knowing that there's only one place to go to. You didn't make this hard. It's not a multiple-choice question. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. The Scriptures say there's not many mediators between God and man. There's only one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that as believers, we would be thankful that you have opened our eyes to that truth, that we have put our faith, our trust in Christ and in Christ alone for our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. And, Lord, that even now you're doing a work in our lives, a continuing work of sanctification, of causing us to be more like Christ each and every day. Help us to be faithful as believers to the call that you put on our lives I want to speak to those who have yet to put their faith or trust in Christ for a moment. Are you like Nicodemus? Do you look at Jesus? Do you look at lives of people that Jesus has affected and you go, wow, there's something there. I just don't know what it is. I would encourage you to search it out. You come to God, you go to God, and you say, Lord, help me to understand this. I don't think any of us want to end up in an eternity, in hell, apart from our creator God, only to deal with his wrath for all of eternity. We don't want to go there. And God has provided a way out. God has said, you know what, if you, if you come to me, if you thirst, you come to me. If you're hungry, you come to me. I'm more than willing My son is more than willing to take you just the way you are. Come just as you are. No excuses. Nothing in your hand. Nothing in my hand I bring. Only to the cross I cling. That's the mentality. You have to give up on your religion. You have to give up on your self-worth. You have to give up on your self-esteem. You have to come to the end of yourselves. And realize the only answer is Christ. Christ and Christ alone. Look to Christ, my friend. Look to Christ. He will save you. He will cause this regeneration, this born-again experience to happen to you when you search for it with all of your heart. Don't try to add Jesus to your life. That, that will not work. You have to give up your life. And then come to Christ. And then he will make you a brand new person. And you will have joy unspeakable and full of glory for all of eternity. Father, we pray that you would just bless our time of fellowship across the way. And Lord, we do thank you for your grace and your mercy calling us to be your children. Lord, we know it's nothing we do. It's, it's what you've done for us. And we're we're grateful for that. Pray, Bless our food as well across the way in Jesus' name. Amen. One last thing, just very quickly. You can end the recording. But um, uh, Christy Djokovic, who's been part of our church for many years, 20, 30 years probably. um, She's come to a point in her life where she's ready to retire, which is a good thing. Uh, The sad news is she'll probably be moving. Closer to be with Jenna and uh, Nick over in the East Bay uh, probably in the next two to four months, and she's not here this morning because they're, they're out, uh, uh, she's over there going to church with them, I think, and then they have a, an appointment with a realtor. But, you know, uh, she's at a point where she can retire, and uh, God bless her, right? And um, we just want to be praying for her and Jen and Nick as they look for this next step, if they, they acquire a house and, and and deal with that and just a transition, um, She asked me to share this with you because uh, this is a hard decision for her. And she goes, I can't be there when you tell the people. (laughs) Because if they turn around, I'll I'll be a mess. So uh, I told her, I said, well, I'll do it when you're gone that one Sunday. So um, be praying for her and be praying for Jenna and Nick. And let's just pray for her right now. Father, we come before you. We pray for Christy. Lord, we know that uh, sometimes you move people on for whatever reason, and Father, we we pray that this is part of your will for her, and Lord, we thank you that she is able to finally retire. I know she's worked a long, long time, and Lord, you've blessed her with the ability to do that, and part of that is kind of selling her house and moving out of this area. Uh, She'll still be close by across the bay, but I'm sure we'll see her from time to time, but we pray for this transition. I know it's a difficult one for her, and it'll be a difficult one for our church as well, but Lord, we pray that you'll raise other other people up in her stead and, and uh, continue to serve you as she's been so faithful to do all these many years. And so we ask you to bless our sister in Jesus' name. Amen.